Hi, thanks for checking out this message from our River Valley Church family here in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages and inspires you. For more messages, be sure to check out our other podcasts. For more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Zach. I'm one of the staff members here. I am so excited to be sharing the Word of God with you this morning. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to turn to to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be deep into Matthew chapter 7 today. Turn there with me. We are in a series called DNA, as you can see by our bumper video, and we are going through our core values that our eldership and our staff have settled on that we want to be about, that our church wants to be known for. We want to sow it deep into our hearts so that this is who we are when people see River Valley Church, when they see people who follow Jesus that go to River Valley Church. And so we've been excited for this. First two weeks were epic. We had Pastor Tim kick us off with Live in Radical Faith, and then we had Pastor Emily last week uh, continue on with Love Our People. I encourage you to go back online, listen to those messages if you miss them. But we are this week into everybody's favorite one, okay? It's my favorite. It's your favorite. I'm going to be the bearer of such good news this morning to you because we are talking about obedience. So good. Everyone's so excited. I don't get to preach on grace or love or forgiveness or any of those awesome things that are just going to fill you up. I get to tell you and be the bearer of good news of obedience. And if I, if I could share something with you. This week, I have had a fun time digging into my own heart of obedience before God. So um, if any of this comes off as a little uh, challenging, um, I'm right there with you. So we're talking about obedience, and I want you to say this with me. We obey. Really complicated, huh? Whew, that was tough. That's like Jesus wept. It's like the shortest, like, simple thing in the Bible. Let's do it one more time. We obey. Okay, now participation sport this morning, okay? Everyone does not get a trophy, all right, or a medal. We, don't, we didn't fund those this morning. But I want you to take a moment, and I want you to think about this. I've had a lot of time to think about it, and I'll share with my thoughts in a second. But I want you to think about and process through with maybe someone in front of you, behind you, beside you, what it means to obey God, okay? You're going to have 90 seconds. There's going to be some fun music in the background. 90 seconds, participation, sport, no one alone. Go find someone and talk to them about what it means to obey God. Go. Yes, that means talk to the person next to you if you don't know them. It's it's a free invitation. Do it. Oh, there's the music. Come on, you got 60 more seconds. You got to keep talking. What does it mean to obey? What does it mean to follow God in obedience? So we talked a long time about love people last week, but obey, we're just super short. I love it. All right, 20 more seconds. And then the awkwardness is over. You've done your part. You get your participation certificate. 
All right, 10 seconds. Get ready. I'm going to ask some of you to share what you learned from the person beside you. All right. I was joking with Tim, you know, first week living radical faith, no problem, 90 seconds was full, we couldn't get you to come back. Love people, I think we talked for two and a half minutes last week, Emily, and then obey was about 20 seconds. <laughs> and you guys were like, yeah, it's simple. But I want to hear from you, give me a couple people, just a shout out, what does it mean to obey God? Uh-oh, someone just threw, go ahead, Jeff, come on. Come on, come on, what else? Come on, someone over here, give me something, give me something. Come on, Kelly, you're looking at me. Don't look at me when I'm looking for participation, teacher. You know, come on, Kelly, what do you got? Kelly, don't put that on me this morning, okay? <laughs> don't put that on me this morning. One more. Middle section right here. Come on. Someone. Corey, you're looking at me. Yes, you are. We'll wait, Corey. We'll wait. Ooh. Trusting. Mm. I'm glad I called on you, Corey. This is good. So, obey. We obey. We're going to unpack that this morning. I love hearing from you guys. I want, I want to offer a couple of disclaimers this morning before we jump into obedience because one of the things that can happen when we talk about obedience is we turn it into legalism and we beat ourselves up. I am not here to beat you or me up this morning, okay? Uh, Pastor Rod preached a beautiful message uh, back in August about living out of victory from Ephesians 6. And I want, if you're struggling with, with fighting for victory instead of fighting from victory, Okay, you go back and listen to Pastor Rod's message in, in August about fighting from victory through the cross, all the things that we sang about and talked about. But I, I don't have time to jump into all of that this morning, okay? So we are fighting from victory, not for victory. That's disclaimer number one. Disclaimer number two, this is really more for me than it is for you, okay? This was some deep work God is doing in me as I'm processing, and I want you to know I am with you in this. I'm not just with you in this. I am the chief person who needs to hear this this morning. So I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you, okay? We're going to let God's word do some deep work on our hearts, but I want you to know that I'm with you this morning. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, this is what Jesus says. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, you can underline that, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Pray with me this morning. Oh, Jesus, we just come before you this morning with humble hearts, just knowing so deeply how much we need your help as we talk about obedience, God. I have fallen short over and over and over again when it comes to following the very teachings and words that you gave us in your word, God. I have lacked a sense of urgency. I've lacked a sense of conviction. And God, this morning, as we open up your word, we want to hear from you. But we don't just want to be hearers of your word, God. We want to be doers. We want to do because not because you make us or because you beat us over the head with our sin, God, because you went to the cross and you died for every single poor choice we make, every single time we lack obedience. We put you on the cross, God. So give us a conviction deep in our hearts this morning that would change us, only to bring you glory, not to bring ourselves glory, God, that others may know how good you are. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we are in Matthew chapter 7. Um, does anyone know who the book of Matthew is written by? Anybody? Good job. You passed. Okay. Matthew chapter 7 is written by Matthew. We are in the largest block of Jesus, uh, the largest ever teaching of Jesus. 
okay? This is the longest recorded words of Jesus in all the Gospels, okay? Matthew, keep in mind who he is, he is a tax collector. He, he is not a popular guy. We actually, my wife and I have started the Chosen series on Netflix, and the first, um, the first episode we watched last night, and Matthew in, in the Chosen series, you should check it out, he has to hide under a, a tarp in a and I don't know what you call it, a wagon, so that he can go to and from his tax booth because people would hurt him if they saw him. That's how disliked the tax collector was. So I think it's awesome that Matthew's writing this because when Jesus comes on the scene in Matthew and he starts to deliver his message, his message is not, hey, pray a prayer, join a small group, do this. His message is repent. That was his message. Repent means change your ways. His message was repent, and his message was delivered not to the religious elite, not to the wealthy, not to the higher, higher ups. It was delivered to the lowly in, in Matthew chapter 4. It was delivered to the day laborers, the Gentiles. It was delivered to the sick and the hurting. It was delivered to those that, that didn't have a lot of money. It was delivered to people that most wouldn't have thought would have been the first recipients of the gospel. Okay, and that's important. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we, as we get into Matthew. And, and so he, he, he comes on the scene. He starts healing people. He starts engaging with the sick and the lowly and the Gentiles. And then he jumps up on this mountain, and he delivers three chapters of some of the toughest, hardest teaching you will read in the Bible. Okay? Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, I, if you would like to study something, I encourage you to study this. I once did it for a whole year where all I read was Matthew 5 through 7, and I tell you what, it was one of the most challenging, great years of my life reading God's word, because this is what he talks about. You can look on the screen. I just want to summarize it for you, but he raises the stakes of godliness. He, he comes and he says, I'm not here to, to abolish the law or make it so everyone can just go on sinning. He says, I'm here to raise the stakes, and he says, I, he addresses anger, lust, murder, adultery, divorce, verbal manipulation, what it means to be good and to love, living as Christians in the world, power, deception, false leaders, and good leaders. It's a lot, three chapters. And what, he, what he's after, interestingly enough, in these chapters is not necessarily the act of the obedience. That's important. He's after the nature of the person's heart. He goes, I don't just want you not to murder, I want your heart. I don't just want you not to commit adultery. I want your heart. And so he raises the stakes of what it means to follow Jesus in church. If I could tell you something today, I think a lot of the times me as pastor, we as church leaders have lowered the barrier of what it means to follow Christ. And today I just want to raise that barrier back up to where it should be in my heart and in your heart. And interestingly, the verse that we read at the beginning Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, at the very end of this teaching, of all these words that Jesus could give, he, sent, he ends with this simple message. Do it. He says, do it. I don't want you just to hear it, I want you to do it. And that's where we're going to pick up this morning as we jump in. And, and, and I think we have a, a temptation as we read Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, this great teaching of Jesus. We have a temptation to, to think a few things. Number one, this is too hard. There's no way I could do this, okay? It's too hard. Number two, we have a temptation to think, you know what? Oh, my friend, my coworker, they really need to hear this. You know what? My family member, this is for them. Oh, that, that section on worry, that's for them, right? We also have a temptation to think, you know what? This is for the future. One day, I'll, we'll do this. We'll do this in the future one day. And what I want you to hear this morning and what I need to hear this morning is this, this teaching, this topic of obedience, it is for us right here, 
right now. It is not unattainable. We must pursue it like our lives depended upon it because they do. Okay? They do. It is not for someone else. It's for us. And if we think it's for someone else, our hearts are in the wrong place. If we are looking at the speck in someone else's eye, as Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, we are, we're not looking at the log in our own eye. It is not too hard. Jesus says over and over again throughout Matthew chapter 5 through 7, throughout the Gospels, I am with you. The very same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You can do this. It is not too far off, okay? And it is not for the future. He says, don't be hearers, be doers, and do it now, okay? So, that's the context as we jump into verse 13. Matthew 7, read along with me. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, we don't quite understand this because we live in a place with freeways and cars and, and, and roads, but in traditional Jewish culture and in Jewish time, a city had a gate. It had a main gate that was big and wide and extravagant. It didn't say welcome to Jerusalem, but it's something like that. Think of that, right? We have welcome to Boise, welcome to Meridian. But it had a large gate. Everyone entered and exited through this way. This is where all the things were done, and it was wide and it was easy. And the roads that would lead, the many roads that would come from other cities to Jerusalem would come to this gate, the main gate, okay? The natural flow of your journey would bring you through the wide, easy main gate. What Jesus is saying here, is he's, he's doing here, is he's giving them an example, a very tangible example that they would understand that there were other gates to the city. And they were smaller. And they were harder to find. They took intentionality. It took searching. It took maybe going off the path a little bit in through some rocky terrain to get to these narrower gates. And the reason also that these gates were narrow is because they were Jesus-shaped. They required you to live like Jesus lived and do what Jesus did. And he, he outlines this in, in chapters 5 through 7, that it's difficult. It's not just not murdering people. It's not being angry. It's not just not committing adultery. It's not lusting. It's not just not, uh, it's, it's, it's having a, not a nature of worry in your heart as you, as you look at life. It's putting your treasure in heaven, not on earth. He says it's, it's, it's difficult, but doing this and searching for this gate is the key to life. He continues on in verse 15. He says, beware of false prophets. Now, what he's, when we look in our English Bibles, we have headers throughout all the Sermon on the Mount, and we think there's just these different sections, but it's all one section. So when he goes into verse 15, he talks about false prophets. He is not talking about something different than this, this, this analogy, this metaphor of, of these wide and narrow gates. And when he's talking about these false prophets, he's, he's specifically referring to leaders who direct people to the wide, easy gate. Okay, so keep that in your mind. He's, he's talking about people that are directing people to this wide road, this wide gate. He says, they come to you in sheep's clothing. What does that mean? They appear good with good intentions that they have what's best for you. But, listen to what he says, but inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. That's kind of intense. They intend to harm you. They don't have good intentions for you. 
Maybe even if they think they have good intentions, what they're doing towards you is meant to harm you. It will harm you, right? These are the leaders that direct you to the wide gate. Verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, it's interesting. We think fruit, it's an outward thing. We can see it. But what he's actually talking about here is that it's not the outer success, the outer things that you can see. It's not a, 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 a... Think of it in a pastoral term. It's not a growing church or a successful ministry or whatever. It's the inner qualities of a person's heart. That's their fruit. You will recognize them by the inner qualities of their heart. He continues on, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? This is kind of like common sense. I'm not an arborist. I don't have a garden that's way too high level for me. But, um, you know, you don't gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Verse 17 so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree can bear good fruit. Basically, hey, if I have an apple tree, it's not going to bring about pears, right? And take it one step further, if I have an apple tree and I hang a pear on it, does that make it an apple tree, right? If you are, if you have, if you are a bad tree, and I hang a couple good deeds that people can see so they can see it, does that make my roots and my very trunk and my nature good? No, inner qualities. That's what Jesus is talking about. Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And then he starts to clarify what the fruit is not. And I think this is one of the most scary few verses for any person that wants to be a leader in God's kingdom. This is one of the scariest verses for, for us to read. It says, not everyone, and again, everyone here is the leaders of the wide road who direct us to the easy wide gate, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. If that doesn't put the, a little bit of healthy fear of the Lord into you, I don't know what does. But think about that. Not everyone, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So those that publicly profess my name and claim to follow me and call me Lord, Lord, and wear a Christian t-shirt and post a verse on Facebook, okay, and have a bumper sticker that says, Jesus saves, they might not enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse, verse, verse he continues on, verse 21, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, he repeats himself again, did we not prophesy in your name? Prophecy, spiritual gifts, doing things for God. It says, and did we not cast out demons? It's a pretty big deal. Spiritual power. Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works? Didn't, didn't we stand before thousands and, and hundreds of people got saved? Didn't we baptize people in the Boise River? Didn't we have a big VBS and all these kids came to know Jesus? Didn't we do that in your name, God? Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. As I, as I marinated on this passage this week, I said, I asked, Lord, what, Lord what, what do you, there's so much here, what do you have for me? I, I, came, I came to this. It's not a famous quote. This is a Zach made-up quote. You don't need to write it down. But I came up with this. It's not the fruit of our ministry, and you're all ministers of the gospel, Ephesians chapter 4. It's not the fruit of our ministry that matters. It's the fruit of our spirit and character that matters. 
It's not the fruit of our ministry. It's not how many people you can disciple. It's not how big you can grow your small group. It's not how awesome your children are and how well they behave. It's not how great your marriage is. It's not how great your you know, parachurch ministry that's doing all this philanthropical work in, in, in our world and in our city. It is not that. It is the fruit of our spirit and the fruit of our character that matters. And tell you, this, this is deeply personal to me because I have lived my whole life in what many would call a public position or a public vocation. I was a basketball coach for 10 years in California. I worked at a Christian school. Um, I, I was at the forefront of a, of a lot of things like this where I was on a stage or on a, at a game or, you know, and people looked to me and they would always look at me because I, you know, I wasn't a horrible person, but I, w- I was still just a sinner saved by grace. And I was in front of people and, and, I, and I had good intentions. I prayed before every basketball practice. I, you know, I led my team through Bible studies. We brought in speakers to to do, um, you know, sessions with our team about Jesus, and it was so good, and, and those things were great, and they were effective, they were awesome, but if you just look at that outer fruit, the barrier for a Christian coach in Southern California is not very high, okay? There's not a lot of people that just do that, even at Christian schools, and so people would look at me and go, oh my goodness, he's a great coach, he's a great mentor to these young men and women, and, and I, I think I did okay, right? But, but if you just looked at those outer things, you wouldn't have ever asked the question, what is his prayer life like? Hmm. How's he really doing? Is he following Jesus on a daily basis? Is he, is, he, is he following Jesus with his generosity? Is he following Jesus in his inner character? Is he crossing lines in coaching, in recruiting? Don't ask me that one, okay? Is he, is he following the rules above reproach, right? Is he treating other teams like Christ would treat them? And sometimes that answer was yes, sometimes that answer was no. But I think a lot of times we elevate positions or vocations in ways that we shouldn't. Come, come here to, we moved to Meridian, Idaho uh, seven years ago, six years ago. I'm a pastor at a large church. Within three months, and I, I, please hear me guys, I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back I'm saying this because God did this, but it's also related to what we're talking about. In three months, our youth group triples, okay? In three months that we were there. And it continues to grow for the next three years. Every single person, oh my goodness, Zach, you are the greatest youth leader. You're, you're this, you're that. You, you and your wife are doing amazing. And I'm going, we just showed up. And no one would look at us and go, how's your marriage? How's your daily Bible reading? How's your prayer life? How, how do you treat people when, when you're not on stage, when you're not on, at church? No one asks that. And it, was, it honestly built up so much pressure on me that it was almost overbearing. And when I came back uh, to River Valley, one of the things I told Tim and the elders was, I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried that that's going to happen again. I'm worried that I'm going to elevate in my mind again the things that happen on the stage, the things that, that people look at in public, and the things that people value over the inner qualities of my heart. And I had to be very intentional. We have to be very intentional about protecting 
my heart from that. Because I think that a lot of times we overvalue the wrong things in leaders. We overvalue positions. And in doing so, when we overvalue positions like coach, teacher, pastor, you name it, you pick it, doctor, whatever you want to call it, uh, when we overvalue those positions, it places pressure on people and it creates uh, an environment where people fail. I think, um, you know, having processed this last few years after I left that large church and we were just coming to church just like you guys and sitting in the back row, I'm a back row sitter, I, I can't stand the front row. I don't know, you guys are crazy up here, David, you're crazy, all right? But I think the stage is the most anti-Jesus and least important part of how we do church. Can I just say that this morning? And I stand up here a lot. But I think it's the least important part of how we do church. I think we elevate the wrong people often and we overvalue positions so, so much. No one asks, what's his home life like? What, 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 what is his prayer life like? What, what, what is his uh, Bible reading life like? And what that leads to often, and it's so sad, is you watch, and I watched this as I was working at this large church, this growing, it's still growing, massive church, is that that pressure and that overvaluing, you know, people would often come to me like, oh my goodness, thank you for serving Jesus as a pastor. It must be so hard. And don't get me wrong, there are challenging things, but every single person here has a vocation and a family and everything's hard. But they'd come up to me and go, it's so hard. I go, wait, I think to myself, I'm getting paid to pray, read the Bible, study God's word, and go to church. Like, I literally get paid to do that. Everyone else here doesn't get paid to be here this morning. And I would feel guilty. I would literally feel guilty. Now, and, and, and what it would do is it would create this pressure that I have to, to perform at this level, and it would lead to burnout. It would lead to failure. I watched it. I watched pastors have to take year-long sabbaticals. I watched moral failure happen. In my own church, I watched all this happen. And so I just want to say this morning, it's not the fruit of our ministry. Growth does not mean that you're following the Lord. It's not the fruit of our ministry. It's the fruit of your, your spirit and character that matters. I want you to, to get that in your heart this morning. And, and I, wanna, I do want to say this, that even as I struggled and I processed, God still used me. That's the beautiful thing about God. But sometimes we mistake that use as success or that use as that's the way it should be. Because God's so good and so powerful, he'll just keep using uh, even the things that the devil intends for negative, he uses them for good, amen? But I want you to hear that this morning, that God still uses me, and he still uses many, many people that are struggling and processing through that. But I think we as a church, and we as people here this morning need to understand that it's the fruit of our heart and our spirit and our character that matters. All right, we'll continue on, verse 24. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine that would be you and me, guys, that are hearing these words of Jesus this morning as we read them and declare them out loud, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But hear this, we get this wrong, we, we put this on t-shirts and coffee mugs, and we totally misinterpret this verse. It is not, we are, we're not founding ourselves on Jesus as our rock. There are other verses that do that. This is not one of them. What Jesus is saying here is that the foundation of everything you must do in life is you need to hear my words and do them. Obey. 
And if you do them out of a grateful, thankful heart, not out of legalism or obligation, but if you do them out of a thankful, grateful heart, you will be like a man who built his house on a firm foundation. Do them. Gosh, I don't like hearing that this morning. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine, so this is the other side of it, that's you and me, we're hearing these words of his this morning, and does not do them, makes the choice to not do them. Every time we don't do it, it's a choice. It's not accident. We know, God, God, we, have, we have a very clear understanding of what obedience and lack of obedience is. My two-year-old son, my, actually, I'm taking it lower, my daughter is 13 months, okay? When Ma, and she was in the bath the other day, and my wife took a video of this. Literally, my wife goes, don't drink the water. And she understands, I promise you, at 13 months, don't drink the water. And she looks at my, do- my, mom, my wife with this little bottle, and she goes, <laughs> drinks it again. She's 13 months. You don't think sin nature is real? You got it, okay? I promise you. You got it, okay? You got it. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And this is the scarier part that we just often don't read about this whole section of Scripture. And great, and great was the following. Great. You see, obedience to Jesus is the only way to withstand the storms of life. And if we aren't obedient, I hate to break it to you and to me, is that great will be our fall. Great will be our fall. He continues on, verse 20, it says, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished. And we don't really capture the word astonished here uh, in English, but in Greek, it literally means to be struck with panic and urgency. God, help us to be struck with panic and urgency this morning. Verse 29, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And so this morning, church, I, I just want us to get into our heart when we talk about obedience that we obey with urgency because God deeply cares about the way that you and me live our lives. He deeply cares. We obey with urgency because nothing destroys intimacy with God than lack of obedience to his word. We obey with urgency, and that means actively ridding our lives from anything that can hinder closeness to God. We obey with urgency, hoping to learn to love what he loves and hate what he hates and hope how he hopes and live how he lived. We obey with urgency only by learning from Jesus how Jesus would live if he were us. And the most important one of all, we obey with urgency because every time we don't, every choice we make that doesn't, literally put Jesus on that cross. And God the Father takes very, very seriously and very, very urgently that which killed his son. We obey with urgency. Why do we do this? Is it a dictator, legalism type atmosphere? No. Why do we obey? Why why does Jesus spend the last part of his largest block of teaching talking about obedience is because he wants it for you. Later in, in the Gospels in John 10, 10, he says, I come that I may give you an ab- 
abundant life, a full life. And he's saying is the way to do that is to be obedient to me. You'll have your greatest peace, your greatest joy, your greatest experience on this earth when you are following Jesus. Later in John chapter 15, he's literally getting ready to go up to heaven. He's getting ready to go hang on the cross and go up to heaven. He's telling his disciples his last final words, his last charge, and he says, I am telling you these things so that your joy may be complete. He wants your joy. He wants you to have joy in life. And the way to do that is that we obey and follow his teaching. So here's the invitation this morning. It isn't raise your hand and pray a prayer. It isn't join a small group. It isn't uh, join a serving team. It's not go on a mission trip. Those are all incredible things. Here's the invitation. It's the same invitation from Matthew chapter 4. Repent. Change your ways. Follow me. And we forget this part. For the kingdom of God is near. It's near. What does repent mean? Repent means to follow. Repent means to become a disciple. What is a disciple? It's simply a student who wants to learn. Learning to do what someone else can do that we can't do, but we want to do. I'll say it again. Learning to do what someone else can do that we can't do, but we want to do. Greatest basketball player in the world ever was? Oh, Kobe Bryant. Okay. All right. All right. We got him to laugh, guys. We just talked like 20 minutes on obedience. I got him to laugh by telling the truth that the greatest basketball player ever was Kobe Bryant. But in my opinion, I think it actually was Michael Jordan. It's certainly not LeBron James. But I'm going to go with Kobe Bryant for this example, okay? And um, Kobe Bryant, um, if he were to come, if, if the spirit of Kobe Bryant were to come and say, Zach, I'm going to teach you how to play basketball. Maybe, just maybe, we'd spend a very short amount of time on, um, he'd, he'd spend standing here and me sitting there and telling me about basketball. And then maybe, just maybe, for maybe a day or two, we might meet with a few other people that were good at basketball or want to be good at basketball and we talk about it, right? Maybe we might go somewhere to watch some people play basketball, right? That would be fun. We might even sing some songs about it. That'd be great, okay? But I'm telling you, at the end of the day, at some point, we've got to play some basketball, Right? And are we going to be perfect at it? Are we going to make every shot when we go out there? Are we going to be like Kobe when we play? No. <laughs> Watch it. Don't, 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 don't insult my Kobe. All right. But take that principle. We want to follow Jesus? We want to become a great follower of him? We can study it all we want. We can talk about it in a small group all we want. We can listen to someone talk about it who... Uh, maybe went to school for it, like me, all we want. But at the end of the day, what, what, what we need to do is we need to engage in habits and practices that shape our muscle memory over and over again so that when we are in game situations, life situations, we have practiced and been through those situations so many times that following Jesus becomes second nature. Can I tell you that? And I want you to hear this. God's good at giving us opportunity to, to follow him. This week, as I've been teaching on this, I cannot tell you, I, I wish I had more time to tell you the amount of times that God gave me opportunity to not do what the world would do and to do what he commands me to do. I almost got frustrated with God. I said, God, would you stop doing this to me this week? Can I just have a normal week where I don't have an opportunity not to, uh, here's a quick example. We're, we're renovating a house in Nampa. Lowe's 
I do a, we do a large Lowe's order. Um, we, we, we go pick it up. We, we take it to our house. And literally, um, I, can't, I can't explain. It's a lot of stuff. It's a couple built-ins, a couple toilets. It's a lot of stuff. And literally, Lowe's emails me the next day and goes, um, you didn't pick up your order. And it's a notification. And so I chat back into the app. I go, hey, I picked this up. He's like, make sure you, they're like, we're, we're going to cancel your order and we're not going to charge you if, you if you don't pick it up. And I go, hey, I, 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 I ordered this. No response. I, I call the store the next day and I go, hey, guess what? Um, I, order, I picked this up. You need to make sure you charge my credit card. All right? They, they say, oh, sir, we can't, we can't. It's not in our system. You need to bring the item back. I go, I cannot bring the item back. It's literally mounted in the house. It's a tub shower built in, Okay. Then, then they go, well, you're going to have to call customer service, uh, the corporate customer service. So literally, God has been going, here you go, Zach. Here's an opportunity for obedience. You, you want to say that you're a man of integrity? You want to make sure you do everything above board? I, I literally have an opportunity for you to walk away and let someone charge, not charge you a couple thousand dollars for these built-ins. And guess what? You're going to have to go through hoop after hoop after hoop after hoop to show that you're a follower of Jesus. Didn't like it. Still don't. I, I've tried, like I tried Friday, I sat on hold for like an hour, I go, I, I'm not doing this today, so I have to call tomorrow. So all of you next week on Sunday, you can ask me if I did it, okay? This is my public confession, God make me do it, because I got another email this morning that says, it is expiring tonight that you're going to get, not get charged and we're going to cancel your items. So I don't know how this is going to work, but opportunity. Opportunity. You want to improve on something? You want I don't know what it is for you. You want to improve on something? Just ask the Lord for some opportunity. So as we settle this into our hearts and get ready to close, we obey. And I think the important part is that there's urgency, there's importance, but it's not because we have to. Obedience isn't legalism. It is evidence of true love an unwavering trust that there is nothing that we love more than being close to God. What do you love more than being close to God? What do you think is not important enough to change that keeps you from being close to God? What do you need to urgently repent of? I brought these for a reason today to be close to God. And I don't know what that is. And I'm not here to beat you over the head like I said and say it has to, if you don't do it, you're gonna lose your salvation because you're not. You're eternally secure in Jesus the moment that you committed your life to him. All right? I'm not here to tell you that you're less of a Christian because you don't do it. If not, I'd be the lowest of low, uh, the least Christian. But what I am here to tell you is that at 35 years old, I want you to know that as I've walked through a lot in life that there is nothing greater than being close to God because that is when my joy is full. My joy is full when I am near to God. He says, draw, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. And as you, I just want everyone to bow, bow your heads and close your eyes. You see, I, as, I, as I processed through this this week, and as I got these opportunities to repent and obey and, and change the way I would have normally done something, It was challenging. I somewhat beat myself up because like, why should I even think this way? Why can't it be easy, God, to obey? 
But I just want to give you an opportunity this morning to do some business with the Lord and just simply say to, say to him, God, I want to obey. I want to change. I want to want you more. I want, I want my obedience and my nearness to you to be so important. I want my obedience to be second nature, God, because, because I know how, how good it is to be close to you. And, and I just want to pray this prayer over us this morning. It's out of Deuteronomy chapter 30. I just believe it's so powerful to pray scripture over us. The interesting part about Deuteronomy chapter 30 is it's Moses giving his last words to his his people that he's led through the wilderness for 40 years and he's getting ready to, to go and, and go up to heaven and he gives this huge block of teaching very similar to what Jesus did. I'm just gonna read this over, so I'm gonna pray this over. So I just put your heart in a posture of receiving as, as I pray this over you. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. It's not too hard. Even though it may seem that way, it's not too far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But this word, this teaching, this commandment is near to you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart and you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and be prosperous. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of. But if you turn your, your heart away and you will not hear and do but are drawn away to worship other things and serve other things, I declare to you today that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you the choice of life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, I beg of you to choose life, that you and all your children may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is the fullness of life and the length of days, that you may dwell and be prosperous in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give to you. Heavenly Father, over our hearts this morning, we just need your word and your truth to penetrate and convict and comfort and encourage and strengthen us to have an urgency to obey, to have an urgency not just to be hearers of your word, but to be doers of it, God. Lord, we are so incapable of doing this on our own. We are so incapable of changing our ways on our own. We know we have a small part to play, God, but we need the power of your Holy Spirit 
We need the power that, that raised Jesus from the dead that lives inside us, Lord, to come and work in our hearts and change our hearts to give us a desire, to give us a strength, to give us a resolve, Lord, to give us even grace for ourselves as we struggle and we fail, God. We know that you don't look at us and, and, and say, oh, what horrible children they are, God. We know that you look at us as you look on your son, Lord. So give us even the eyes that you have for us, God, the eyes that you, that you see us with, God, that we are yours, that we are victorious in Jesus, but Lord, that we have this, this awesome opportunity, Lord, to be near to you right here, right now, not when we die and go to heaven, God, not after we go to this other, something else, God, but right here today at River Valley Church, we have an opportunity to be near to you if we simply posture our hearts in a sense of obeying. I need you to do it in me, Lord. I don't have the strength to do it on my own. We submit to you today, and we love you. We thank you that we have the ultimate victory in the death of your son and the salvation we have in him. We fight from that place, not for that place, God. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from River Valley Church. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by it? Make sure to share it with them this week. Again, for more content from us, please check out our website at rivervalleyboise.com.